So as Mark alluded to earlier, I think we could all benefit from hearing some good news every now and again. And today I get to be the bearer of good news. So that's pretty awesome. Thanks, Allison, for setting me up for this. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, hi, my name is Dana and I am a dataholic, uh, as will become clear here in the next few minutes. I am CCL Research Coordinator and an environmental scientist and a climate journalist, uh, currently writing for Yale Climate Connections. And so this is going to be an interactive session. And so if you can, I'd like you guys to open up a browser window and go to pollev.com slash CCL123. Should be a link going up in the chat that you can just click on. Uh, and once you get situated there, we're going to do a little word cloud. And I want you to answer the question, Given the climate crisis, everything that's happening with climate change, how do you feel about the future? Are you optimistic, pessimistic, uh, anxious, hopeful, uh, ready to pee your pants? You know, all valid emotions. Uh, we're just trying to get a little baseline data on our volunteers' sentiments here. Um, so we're getting a lot of oh, some pretty good, hopeful and optimistic. A uh, few anxious and worried people. We have a lot of climate anxiety, that's very common, but you guys are a pretty hopeful group. So I'm not sure that I need too much for very much today to make you guys feel better, but we're going to try anyway. Okay. So let me move on here. Okay. So we're going to start by talking about our recent climate policy successes. Uh, Mark alluded to many of these, but just in the past couple of years, two years ago, we had the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed. Uh, which had a lot of money for uh, electric vehicle infrastructure, for electrical transmission infrastructure. We saw some grants just go out for that, which was great. One of our supporting asks, the SCALE Act, was included in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which had some resources for some carbon capture and storage infrastructure. So that was great. Uh, we got, the, of course, the Growing Climate Solutions Act passed. Uh, which helps farmers and ranchers and foresters connect to carbon markets to encourage and incentivize some natural climate solutions. Uh, so you guys sent over 5,000 messages in support of the Growing Climate Solutions Act to your members of Congress, and we got that passed. Uh, we got the Chips and Science Act, which has some funding for some clean technology manufacturing and innovation. And then, of course, we got the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which also included another of our supporting asks, the Hope for Homes Act, uh, which is going to have some incentives for homeowners to electrify and make their homes more efficient, which I'll be talking about in the Sunday seminar on the IRA tomorrow. And of course, the big one, as has been talked about, is the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, America's biggest ever climate bill. Uh, and during the very long year that led up to its passage, uh, you guys had 920 meetings with your members of Congress, over 225,000 contacts to Congress, uh, and newspapers around the country, over 2,000 letters to the editor, and 676 op-eds. So you guys really did your job. Uh, we did our part to make sure that the Inflation Reduction Act got over the finish line. And uh, the IRA and these other bills are going to make a big difference in what America looks like in 2030. We're going to have much more of our electricity coming from clean sources. A lot more of our new cars and trucks are going to be electric. I'll talk about the numbers on those here shortly. 
And we're going to get about a million new jobs in clean energy, clean manufacturing, and building retrofits. And we're already seeing a lot of these clean manufacturing uh, announcements. Uh, this is a nice map from a group, uh, e2.org. You can see all around the country these new clean technology uh, facilities that have been announced. Uh, 246 new projects in 40 states, investing almost $100 billion from the private sector, creating almost 100,000 jobs. Uh, lots of them EV manufacturing, solar manufacturing, and battery storage manufacturing. So lots of great success already from the Inflation Reduction Act in terms of clean tech manufacturing right here in the United States. But uh, we know the challenge that we face is that if we don't start building our clean energy infrastructure and especially our electrical transmission infrastructure faster, we're not going to achieve uh, most of the potential climate pollution cuts from these bills and especially the Inflation Reduction Act. Because we have to, so that's why we have to get uh, permitting reform passed to get this infrastructure built faster. And so that's why we lobbied in June uh, in DC on clean energy permitting reform and you guys did a great job. Uh, your members of Congress heard you loud and clear, and as a result, the Climate Solutions Caucus had its first briefing just recently and invited CCL to brief them on clean energy permitting reform. Uh, so the House Climate Solutions Caucus is comprised of 32 Republicans and 32 Democrats in the House looking for bipartisan climate solutions, and they have identified permitting reform as their top priority. So. We briefed them on that a little over a month ago. Um, so that was a great success, I think, uh, for our lobbying efforts. And uh, as a result, we're pretty optimistic that we can get a clean energy or clean, uh, a clean energy permitting reform bill uh, passed, hopefully relatively soon in Congress. So now we're gonna do our first little pop quiz and talk about that clean energy. So going back to polyv.com slash CCL123, uh, answer what percentage of American electricity do you think comes from low carbon sources today, including solar, wind, uh, geothermal, hydroelectricity, nuclear power? Uh, those of you who are at our trivia uh, session last night uh, uh, have an unfair advantage, you know the answer. But of course, we at CCL like to incentivize good behavior. And so now everybody knows that you should join me and Britt next time at our trivia session at the next Congress or the next uh, conference. So we get the most popular answer here is 33%. Uh, I'm gonna get last call here for answers. And the correct answer is actually B, 43%. And we'll look at that here in a minute, but keep that number in mind because we're gonna do one more question here, which is what percentage of our electricity will come from low carbon sources in 2030 if we are reasonably successful with permitting reform? It's 43% now. Will it be 50 to 60%, 60 to 70, 70 to 80, or 80 to 90% in 2030? So it's looking like the most popular answer is 70 to 80%, with 60% to 70% coming in a close second. Last call for you guys to get your answers in here. And the correct answer, uh, the largest number got it right, it is C, 70 to 80%, as we're gonna see in this nice chart. So here we're looking at where our American electricity has come from. Uh, from the bottom to the top, we're looking at coal, natural gas, oil, hydroelectricity, nuclear power in red there, wind, solar, and bioenergy. So in 2015, uh, we had one-third low-carbon, two-thirds fossil fuels, just 6% wind and solar. 
And today it is up to 43% low carbon, including 16% wind and solar. So the clean stuff is really gaining some ground there. And according to our friends at Princeton, uh, if we succeed reasonably well with permitting reform, it will be in just four years, 60% uh, low carbon to 40% fossil fuels and 35% wind and solar at that point. And then uh, in 2030, uh, if we are a successful permitting reform, we'll get about 72% low carbon sources, including half of our electricity in 2030 coming from wind and solar. Uh, you can see, especially at the yellow bar here, the solar power growing very, very fast in the coming years uh, because it has become very cheap. And now we have these uh, tax credits from the Inflation Reduction Act for clean electricity sources. So that's great. It's not just the United States either, where solar in particular is growing really fast. That's happening all around the world. And I think this is a cool way of visualizing that solar power growth. So on the left here, you can see all of the uh, solar generation capacity installed around the world since the dawn of time through the year 2020. And then on the right, you can see how much we installed around the world in 2021 and 2022 and 2023. So you can see um, just in the past three years, we have installed more solar energy than was installed uh, between the uh, Big Bang and the year 2020, uh, which really blows my mind just how quickly we're getting all this solar energy uh, built and installed. And we can look out into the future using uh, International Energy Agency's projections, and that's what it will look like in 2024 and 2025 and 2026. Uh, doing roughly double of the solar uh, generation capacity stall installed around the world as we have in the past three years. So just this really explosive growth in clean energy and especially solar energy. And you can see that from this chart from the International Energy Agency as well. This is the amount of solar power generated around the world. Uh, on the left, you can see it started out very slowly because solar power used to be very expensive and then Solar power became cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and it started to grow really, really fast. And we're right around here now in 2023. These are the projections out to 2027, continuing with that really rapid exponential growth. Uh, you can see on the right here a similar story for wind energy, although wind uh, started getting cheaper earlier, so it got a little bit of a head start. Uh, and it's also been growing exponentially, although solar is now uh, a little bit cheaper than wind in most cases and is actually catching up. Uh, but solar and wind, Currently, the two cheapest sources of new electricity in most cases around the world today. As a result, uh, basically all of the new uh, electricity that we're going to be installing around the world in the next few years is going to come from low carbon sources, mostly wind and solar, a little bit from some countries installing some nuclear power, uh, very little gas, uh, some additions, but some retirements and coal. We're actually going to see more retirements around the world than installations in the next few years. And so as a result, we're going to see global climate pollution peak within the next few years, according to the IEA, and then start to decline thereafter, which is great news. That's what we need to see. So that's our electricity sector. Now we're going to switch to the transportation sector with our next pop quiz question at Poll EV. Uh, what percentage of new car sales in the USA this September were electric, including uh, fully electric cars and plug-in electric hybrids? Was it 2%, 5%, 10%? or 18% average around the United States, which we have a lot of variation between states, but this is our average uh, nationwide. 
So it looks like the most popular answer is 10%. Uh, last call here for answers. And the correct answer is indeed 10%. You guys, I was surprised so many people got that one right. That was supposed to be a tough question. So you guys are pretty smart, I guess. So we can see that on this chart, this is the percentage of uh, new car sales in the United States that were electric uh, between 2010 and the present. Uh, you can see it's got this exponential curve. And in fact, uh, it's been rising faster than my exponential uh, curve here in the past three years or so, uh, rising up to just about 10% in September. Uh, shout out to my people here in California, where actually it's over 25%. More than one in four new cars sold today in California are electric. So the rest of you states, you got some work to do to catch up to California. Now let's look out to the future. According to the EPA, what percentage of new car sales in the US will be EVs in 2030? Uh, bearing in mind that it's 10% right now, will it be in 2030, 10 to 20%, 20 to 40%, 40 to 60%, or 60 to 80%? Uh, it looks like our 40 to 60% answer is kind of dominating. Uh, again, we might have a lot of our trivia session people answering this question because we kind of gave it away last night. And yes, indeed, the correct answer is 40 to 60%. Good job, guys. And you can see that in this chart uh, where we're looking at the EPA's projection in the gray out to the future uh, using things like auto manufacturers projections. Uh, so those had about 40% predicted new car sales in 2030 being electric. And then the EPA uh, drafted some new vehicle tailpipe pollution rules. And so they said, for automakers to meet our new tailpipe pollution regulations, they'll have to sell some more EVs. And so then it'll be up to something like 60% of new car sales in 2030 in the US being electric. So somewhere in that 40 to 60% range which is a really rapid increase from the just under 10% today. And just a few years ago, it was like 1%. So EVs are really growing very fast in the United States. So next pop quiz question, what about around the world? What percentage of new car sales around the world in August were electric, uh, including fully electric and plug-in hybrid? Given that it's 10% in the United States, is the rest of the world at 2%, 5%, 10%, or 18%? Are they behind the US, on par with the US, or ahead of the US? So it looks like we got mostly 18%, although the 5% are not too far behind, and quite a few 10% as well. Last call for answers. And it looks like the plurality is D, 18, which is indeed the correct answer. You guys know your stuff. So you can see that in this chart. Uh, this is EV uh, global share of uh, new car sales. You can see in 2012, it was 14%. Right now, we're up to 18%. Looking out to the future, it's projected to be something like three quarters of new car sales globally uh, in 2030 being electric. So a lot of countries doing even better than the US here. China's up to almost 40% of new car sales being electric. Uh, Europe is over 20%. Uh, in fact, I think the last month they were actually at 30%. Uh, you might also remember this Will Ferrell commercial from the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Did you know that Norway sells way more electric cars per capita than the U.S.? Norway. <laughs> well, I won't stand for 
Yeah, so indeed, Norway is the global leader with over 90% of new car sales being EVs. Uh, so I think if you want to take one thing away from the conference this weekend, it should be that Will Ferrell needs to work a lot harder because Norway is smoking us like some lutefisk on EV car sales. I don't know if anybody actually smokes lutefisk. But in any case, let's uh, take that same uh, interesting perspective on electric vehicle sales. So on the left here, you can see the total number of electric cars sold since the dawn of time through 2020. And on the right, you can see how many were sold globally in 2021 and 2022. And there's 2023. So as of this year, uh, at the end of this year, three quarters of all electric cars ever sold will have been sold in just the past three years, which again, just blows my mind how much EVs are just really taking over the auto market right now. And so you can see that here, uh, this chart from the International Energy Agency, this growth in these clean technologies, uh, EVs are just really taking off. Uh, also battery storage at power plants growing very, very fast. You can see solar panels growing super fast right there. Also uh, residential heat pumps to very efficiently heat and cool our homes uh, growing very fast as well. So lots of clean technologies are taking off. As a result, we are on a different path. So before the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015, we were on a certain path for a certain amount of global warming by 2015. Now we're on a lower path. So how much lower is that path? How much global warming have we avoided uh, since the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015? Is it a quarter of a degree Celsius, half a degree Celsius, three quarters of a degree, or a full degree Celsius? So in this case, it looks like the majority or about half of the answers are a quarter of a degree. Uh, next, the largest answer is half a degree. I'm going to give you guys a last call for answers here. And finally, you guys were more pessimistic than reality. The actual answer is D. We have avoided a full degree Celsius of global warming uh, since the Paris Agreement was signed. So you can see that here, this chart again from the International Energy Agency, the red line is the path that the world was on in terms of emissions uh, going up to 2030. We were on track for a catastrophic three and a half degrees warming by 2100. And then you can see at the bottom here, what has happened since then. Uh, you can see the pandemic right there from COVID and then the rebound. And then here's where we're expecting to go by 2030 with emissions peaking and then starting to go down in terms of uh, our, our, our existing policies, largely because of deployment of solar and wind and electric cars. And so now we're on track for about two and a half degrees Celsius. So, you know, it's not good enough yet. We still are not on track to meet our Paris targets, but we've erased uh, a degree Celsius from where we, were, where we were headed just eight years ago. So that's some good progress. And now we have to keep, have to keep that progress moving in the right direction to get to meeting our Paris targets. And so of course, we're trying to do our part here at CCL to make that happen. Uh, so you can see this is the track we're on right now in terms of US greenhouse gas emissions. Here is our Paris commitment, cutting emissions 50% by 2030 that we are trying to achieve. And so if we can get our permitting reform passed, unlock those emissions cuts from the IRA, we'll get to a 40% cut or so by 2030. Then we're going to pass a carbon price, which in collaboration with permitting reform will get us right around to, uh, to our 50% Paris targets. But we're also going to work on some healthy forest policies, get those into the farm bill next year. So I'll be hearing more about those as we approach 
uh, the Farm Bill and everybody working on that next year. And then we're also going to educate people about building electrification and efficiency and the incentives to do that in the Inflation Reduction Act. Again, join us in our Sunday seminar tomorrow to learn more about that. And so if we're successful, successful with our whole uh, CCL policy agenda portfolio, uh, no offense to our friends in France, no offense, Flannery, uh, but we are going to try to kick Paris's butt and get to 60% cuts by 2030 and get this climate problem under control. So I'm gonna to give Tony a minute to get the questions together, but we're gonna do one last uh, word cloud here. Just answer how you feel about the future now. If you're still hopeful, anxious, optimistic, pessimistic, um, and we got some betters, I like that. That means we're doing some uh, good work here. Uh, Allison, I think we might've gotten our job done in making people feel a little bit better and hopeful and optimistic. So that's great. And if you have any questions that I don't get to, uh, please join us at the Nerd Corner at cclusa.org slash nerd corner. And now I will stop and see what questions we got. Hey, Dana, great presentation. Uh, this is Tony Serna, CCL VP of Organizational Strategy, and people have questions. Um, yeah. One, I want to just reassure people that we're going to post uh, some of the data sources and, and slides on, on community, so you'll get access to those. But Dana, um, people are worried because they're seeing stories about like EV sales slowing and corporations maybe reducing their predictions. I don't know if you can say, you know, how to, how to uh, align that with the statistics you're giving us. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, there's a discrepancy between U.S. sales and global sales because global sales, as you saw in those charts, which just are just exploding, especially in places like China and Europe. Um, they are still exploding in the United States, too. I think maybe the automakers just got a little bit too good at making EVs too quickly um, because, like, the percentage of new car sales that are EVs is growing really, really fast. So maybe they're a little too optimistic, thinking it would, it would grow even faster than that. And so there are, like, uh, more EVs, they're sitting on car lots longer than uh, a lot of fossil fuel cars are. But nevertheless, like the picture is very clear that in the long term and even in the not so long term, uh, EV sales are going to be going up very fast uh, all over the world. And the United States is going to be catching up too. Great. And similarly, people are wondering, you know, with, with the solar installation soaring, like you show there, there's also um, some solar companies' stocks are going down. And I don't know if you can speak to to some of the dynamics around that or if that's outside your scope? Um, I imagine a lot of that was because of, you know, we had the COVID pandemic, we had supply chain issues. Uh, until the IRA was passed, there was a lot of uncertainty in these tax credits. Um, so now I expect at least their long-term outlook is clearly very, very good. Um, there's also uncertainty around like the tariffs uh, for imported uh, solar panels from China and uh, the, the Southeast Asia. So uh, those things are all gonna resolve. You saw like how quickly uh, are the amount of solar panels that we're expecting to install both in the United States and globally are expected to grow super, super fast. So I think uh, most solar companies are probably going to be in very good shape. And then someone had a question about where are we going to get the workers that are needed to build transmission networks and chargers, et cetera. I don't know if you can say anything about, you know, the the supply chain for workers. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, as the demand is there, then uh, people will recognize that supply. Wages are probably going to have to go up uh, in turn to, to encourage enough people to go into those careers. Um, electricians is a big one. We think that we're going to need like a million new electricians because we're going to do all of this electrification of homes, installing heat pumps and solar panels and EV chargers and upgrading 
electrical panels and a lot of that stuff's all going to need a lot of electricians uh, and we so we need to train a lot more electricians. So it might take a little bit of time for that training pipeline to get up to speed, but uh, pretty soon I think we're going to get there as people see the demand and the job security and the salaries um, incentivizing people to go into those careers. And then people are wondering about uh, energy storage. I don't know if you can speak to batteries and how that growth is going or how, you know, how much is needed to complement the, you know, intermittent renewables. Yeah. I mean, lithium ion battery storage at power plants is growing really, really fast, um, especially in places like California, where we have a ton of solar energy that we're having a hard time using it all in the middle of the day. And we would like to address, like, as the sun goes down, then you have to meet that like, that energy demand with other sources. So that's why we're installing a lot of batteries in places like California, also Texas, um, so that we can kind of store some of that energy and start to let it uh, send it into the grid as the sun goes down and that demand is, is very high. Um, so, yeah, battery storage, uh, especially for lithium-ion lithium -ion batteries, is growing very, very fast. There's a lot of new uh, solar facilities that have been proposed. Uh, to be built that are being proposed to be built in combination with uh, battery storage facilities too. Uh, and then in the longer term, we're going to need some longer duration storage. And so there's a variety of different technologies, uh, some things like thermal batteries, but uh, lots of different technologies that are going to have to meet that demand uh, for, you know, things like longer term uh, weather changes. And we're going to need more transmission, of course, so that we can share electricity between regions that have different weather. So there's going to be a lot of different technologies. We have a training page on this uh, on uh, CCL community. Uh, it's, it's something about uh, how we're going to create a clean, stable electric grid. So you can go check that out for more information. Great. And then people are asking um, some questions about like permitting reform and whether, you know, uh, the question of like the pushback, like, are we going to see fossil fuel firms pushing back against that? Um, you know, are we seeing support for that in, in local areas? What can you say about uh, permitting reform and transmission lines. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing about transmission lines is that everybody benefits from them. They're sort of a technology or a technology neutral solution because like every power plant needs uh, transmission lines to connect to the grid. Um, it's definitely beneficial for clean technology, especially solar and wind, um, because as we build those out in kind of rural areas uh, where there is affordable available land then we need to connect and send that electricity to population centers and so it's very important for solar and wind especially given this huge demand for clean energy due in part to the IRA tax credits and in part due to their costs falling very fast but really it's all sources of clean energy and all energy in general that need transmission lines to connect to the grid so um, in terms of transmission, like the only opposition is potentially local utilities that already have a monopoly on transmission and they want to keep being in charge of it and they don't want anybody messing with their, uh, with their authority there. Um, but other than that, like there's a lot of support for uh, transmission in general and lots of different priorities in terms of permitting reform and what should go into a permitting reform package. So it's just a matter of finding uh, the right balance of packages and, and um, components that can get everybody on board so that they have something that they want and nothing that they really dislike and so we can get enough bipartisan support and bipartisan votes to get it packaged passed uh through congress right great and then there's some questions uh you know they're they're a little bit uh different but there's people asking about hydrogen and geothermal and you know some other things i'm just wondering if you can speak to like the need for like clean firm power and, and how that integrates with the with a clean energy grid. 
Yeah, I mean, the more uh, we call it variable or intermittent power that we get from all these uh, solar panels and wind turbines that we're going to be installing, then the more kind of backup support you need for when the weather is different, when there's uh, when it's either nighttime or there's cloudy weather, for example, then you're you have less uh, solar power available, and so you need some kind of backup for it. Uh, so again, there's lots of different solutions there. Again, the more transmission lines we can get, that's why we like the big wires act that we're going to be lobbying on because that adds uh, re uh, transmission between regions. So if you have, you know, somewhere in California is cloudy and we need some more uh, backup support, we can get that from like Nevada neighbors, our neighbors to the east, for example. Um, and then, you know, geothermal power is really cool because it's just heat beneath our feet that's always there. Um, so that's a nice uh, stable source, uh, nuclear power, hydroelectric power. There's lots of different sources, batteries. Um, so again, it's just a matter of figuring out what the, the best mix is in terms of the most efficient and most cost-effective solutions. Um, so a carbon price would be a great thing there just to incentivize whatever the most cost-effective low carbon solution is uh, or the mix of solutions are. And so that's why we're pushing for the policies that we're advocating for. Yeah, and uh, one more question about, I wonder if you can speak to, like, people are concerned about the need for critical minerals and how that might slow down some of this energy transmit transition and, like, how the, the balance of critical minerals uh, or other mining is going to affect this transition. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to need a lot more critical minerals to build all these solar panels and wind turbines and batteries and electric cars. Like, these require a lot of things like lithium and copper and cobalt and uh, all these different minerals. And so um, ideally, we get more of these minerals uh, domestically because we have very good uh, environmental and health and safety regulations in the United States. And so, you know, it's better than getting it from a country that has some lax standards and might have some worse impacts on the environment or on workers. Um, so we're working on that, like that could be potentially some components of a permitting reform package could uh, Excel could make the uh, permitting process for critical minerals more efficient, although we still have to make sure like we're not cutting people's voices out of the process. A lot of critical minerals in the United States are located on or near tribal lands. Um, so we want to make sure we're not uh, taking advantage and uh, exploiting um, indigenous people in the process. We want to make sure they uh, their voices are heard and their input is provided as well. So it's a complicated issue. Uh, we want to make we need to make sure we have a bigger supply of critical minerals, but we're not doing it in in an, an environmental damaging way. Um, so we just have to do that uh, in the best way we can. Great, thank you so much, Dana. There are still eighty five unanswered questions in the in the Q and A. So um, please, everyone, uh, post post those questions on the Nerd Corner on uh, CCL Community. There's a link in the chat. Uh, Dana loves answering questions there, and I'm sure we can keep him busy uh, with all of these excellent questions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.